Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Godzilla Pod War Hour. My name is Michael Kelly. With us is always Nathan Bear. Nathan, say hello. Hello. Good. And also, uh, this is a very special occasion, ladies and gentlemen. We have our first uh, guest co-host with us today, uh, a man who I have known for several years, a, a dear, dear friend of mine, Mr. Thomas Beto. Hi, folks. Now, uh, the uh, chains aren't too heavy, are they, Tom? No, they're not. Good, good. We, we, we hate discomfort on the show. Nate is performing a joke about us kidnapping Tom to have him here on the show, but I can assure you he is here voluntarily, uh, not against his will, and he's not crying right now. The truth is, is that this podcast is recorded on my microphone, and I told them if they didn't let me be a guest, I was going to take it, take it back. And prematurely end this podcast. <laughs> you are ruining the the magic of show business and the magic of the podcast right now. Yeah. This is... You're like the George Lucas of podcasting. You're just taking, taking just... such good. No, he's absolutely correct. We definitely record it on his microphone yes. every week. Today we are going to be discussing the son of G, the son of Big G, a.k.a. son of Godzilla, a.k.a. Godzilla. What? I have a kid? <laughs> Which was the original title of the film by me just now. No, that just wasn't. A, I, uh, is there an alternate Japanese title? There probably is. Do, do I, I look know. like I speak Japanese to you? Look, Son of Godzilla was released in 1967. Yes? Yes. Yes, okay. it was. 67. And so we should talk about it, I think, for an hour. What do you think? Well, uh, it was uh, two years before the Summer of Love. Um, what? One year? Uh, Woodstock. The Summer of Love was 1967. Oh, it was? Yeah, yeah that's when uh, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club came out. 69 was the, uh, it was the Summer of Woodstock, but it was also the year that, uh, the hippie dream, uh, vanished. Oh, dear. In, right. the, in the shadow of a stabbing at Altamont. <laughs> a little off topic here. <laughs> dear God. Uh, heavy stuff. Yes. Let's, uh, Okay. So. That's true. That's correct, Tom. And I'm glad you brought that up because Son of Godzilla was definitely directed by June Fukuda. Yes. <laughs> yes. Why don't I talk about my context coming into this podcast? Yes. Uh, yes. Please, please do. I have only seen uh, the original 1954 Godzilla, and I walked out of Roland Emmerich's Godzilla in 1998 when I was 16 years old. Um I look forward to finishing that film and uh, joining Mike and Nate on the Godzilla uh, 1998 podcast. So that's that's sort of the 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 reason why I'm listening to this podcast and participating in it is just to revisit Roland Emmerich's Godzilla. Anyway, Son of Godzilla was a total gobsmack. I've never seen anything like it. It's <laughs> it's awful. It's terrible. I, I don't know if the rest of them are like this, but if they are, then I'm not sure what the point of this cast is. To be honest, this movie uh, is like uh, we don't have to care anymore. Yeah, the money no. is coming in. I think we're making. Can we profit. say that everyone was drunk? <laughs> yes. On set in I, the creative thing, all the actors seem sober, but that could be just acting. Really good acting. It's a, it's like they were watching H, you know, American copies of H.R. Puff and stuff and Lidsville, and said, you know, we should have that here, yeah, just with Godzilla. <laughs> It is. It's not. It's not entirely unlike a Sid and Marty Croft production. Um, stuff is unexplained. 
We have cut the tethers. We are in orbit now. The script was by uh, Sekizawa, who has been writing these films since Ghidra mm -hmm. at this point. One of the plot points is that these scientists are on this island with weather controlling equipment. And they're, one of the things they're studying is they're, they're trying to maybe bring the temperature down or control the temperature so they can uh, make inhospitable environments uh, able to to grow crops to combat overpopulation and to, to grow more food basically the genesis project from wrath of khan yes. but before now this concept of the weather control experiment comes from an earlier script that sekizawa had pitched to toho i'm glad the, the three of us i don't you can't see we're all sitting down this was an element of an earlier script that he had which was Godzilla versus, you guessed it, Batman. That, yes, that's correct. In the fall of 1965, the Adam West, Burt Ward, Batman show premiered on CBS. And uh, Sekizawa was watching this, and the pressure was on to deliver another King Kong versus Godzilla-style uh, hit. And so he's like, ah, I really like this Batman show. Let's have Batman fight Godzilla. So he, he wrote something with, and I think it was like Mr. Freeze or something, had like a weather control thing, and mm -hmm. he was somehow like using Godzilla. I don't know. I, this never got to DC for them to shut it down because it was internally shut down by Toho. Mm -hmm. yeah, but yeah. like the fact that like that element, like even the, an element that was carried over from that script yeah. is insane. <laughs> Like that some part of that story made it into another Godzilla movie is crazy. Why was it shut down? I don't know. There's not that much information available. The LSD wore off. <laughs> the LSD wore off. There weren't enough Dutch angles. That, that The key to every Batman episode is just that nice, askewed angle every time there's a villain. And, you know, Toho's like, we don't like those. And uh, DC... DC don't do that. Yeah, I'm not sure what happened, but they shut it down. But I just thought that was, like, maybe the craziest thing I've heard in, as far as, like, you know, abandoned uh, Toho projects. And there is a direct correlation with this film. This is the second film in a row that did not receive an American distribution mm -hmm. uh, theatrically. It um, premiered direct on American television. Um, so that is, is, you know, a continued trend. Uh, slightly chopped up a few things in the American version. Uh, the opening sequence in the airplane uh, is not present. Instead, uh, we cut directly to Godzilla's uh, walking into a camera. Right. Uh, Which is, that's always the version I saw, so it was sort of confusing. And I think that's the only time they ever get the, give the name of the island. Yeah. Which is, I wrote it down here, it's like Sogale Island. So, so this is actually the first Godzilla movie shot on... U.S. territory. This is actually shot on U.S. ground. So, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of firsts in this movie. I think it's the first Godzilla movie that has snow, where there's a monster fight during a snowstorm. It's the first Godzilla movie to have a brief fight between two of the non... Like, uh, there's a brief fight between two monsters that are not Godzilla, just sort of bickering amongst themselves, mm -hmm. which is... There's a lot more monster action in this one than, like, the previous ones. Like, especially compared to something like Monster Zero, where you're literally talking about ten minutes of monster footage. Whereas this one, it seems like there's about 35 minutes of the monsters just sort of walking around doing stuff mm -hmm. in this one. Um, 
they really, and of course, you know, it's Son of Godzilla. They are pretty much aiming at kids at yeah. this point. Like, this point, it's completely The last one kids. was for teenagers. This one is like 12-year-olds. And then Destroy All Monsters is for like six-year-olds. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask if you said that the movie was went straight to television in America. Like, what time, like, did they play it right after Batman? Like, in the morning? <laughs> or, or did uh, they, pos- was it, sorry, was it like a, like a midnight movie for stoners? I mean, definitely. I've talked to people who, the one uh, individual by the name of Robert Perry, who, uh, he was a night projectionist in Georgia in 1975, and he said that there was... He had to keep playing the Rocky Horror Picture Show for these midnight screenings, and he did it for like six or seven months. And this one, he only got one TV station, and the only midnight movie every Saturday night that they played was Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster. So, God. You know, <laughs> and so he got to like know every line of that movie, which is, uh, you know, it's an interesting predicament to be in. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, definitely midnight movie fodder, and. Um, you know, some of these movies got really grand, elaborate distributions. Godzilla vs. Megalon got a, like, huge publicized um, distribution in America. Yeah. So it, it's it's sort of... It's the weird thing about these movies. It seems like, even though it's a franchise, each film is its own sort of separate uh, venture. Yes. Each, you know, and it's, it's just like whoever's brave enough to, like, take it on and distribute it, they can basically do whatever they want. Toho was pretty good mm-hmm. about that and sort of seeking out different things. They were not afraid of taking risks at all. Yeah. Um, I wanted to mention briefly the monsters in this film because some very cool uh, monsters who are really not seen too much. Uh, later on in the series, you know, they've got a couple of appearances uh, later on, but um, this is pretty much it for Spiga, a.k.a. Kumunga, which is the giant uh, tarantula on the island, and also uh, Kamakaris, which is the Japanese uh, name, um, which not, is... Not to be confused with uh, Kimi Kamakura, which is a suburb of Tokyo. Exactly. Which is uh, Gymantis in the American cut because it's a combination of the words giant mantis. Now, the Gymantis uh, monsters were giant marionettes, mm-hmm. okay? They were like nine or ten feet long, and each one of them had nine puppeteers holding on to three separate uh, strings or controls that they would control within like a three meter radius. Of like, I guess these guys were just up on the scaffolding in mm. the studio or whatever. And I've I've read reports where it was just like it, just insanely complicated. And again, I can't see any of the strings. Yes, they've done a really really good job, uh, especially uh, Spiga. You, I kept looking and looking, and you just you can't see it. You just can't see it. They're just uh, they I mean, look absolutely, and you know, it's not a man in a suit, and it looks alive and fluid, and uh, yeah. which why, unlike Metallica, Toho is truly the master of puppets. So when Godzilla body slams the Gymantis, do mm-hmm. you think the strings got tangled, or do you think they had a stringless oh, Gymantis? Definitely had went stringless. Hey, here's a question: If this movie was directed towards children, I mean, obviously the monster sequences are. Uh, but the scientist sequences, do they skew younger as well? Is it, is it like any less like sort of uh, dry and boring? <laughs> uh, 
than uh, the regular you know, scientist sequences? It's a little less boring than they normally are. It's, I, I would say it's it's one of the more exciting entries in the series so far as far as the human scenes. Just because of the crazy guy with the gun? Just because of the character Futakawa, who is uh, insane when the script calls for him to be. Uh, Which is immediately and ongoing. Yeah. <laughs> immediately and ongoing. But no, he, 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 swat, he switches on and off yeah. if you're really paying attention. Because they need him to rebuild the camp. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when all of the non-essential characters become bedridden and need the red water conveniently. Sekizawa was like a master watchmaker with the script. I mean, you know, he just he knew how to do it. Yeah. Uh, who are all these characters? I don't know. I have them all get sick somehow. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, Furikawa, uh, before we go on, is played by Yoshio Tsuchiya, uh, who uh, you may know from uh, 1954's uh, Seven Samurai, in which he played the farmer Rikichi. Uh, and in 1969, he was in The Funeral Procession of Roses, which uh, is a film that uh, in- apparently inspired A Clockwork Orange. I don't know how. It's a gay Oedipus story. Uh, and guess who plays Daddy? He does. So, uh, oh, yeah. he, well, he was also the controller in uh, Monster Monsters, Monster, Monster Zero. Zero, yeah, yeah. And but he's, he took the sunglasses off, yeah. Um, that, that's why he went crazy in this movie, he just couldn't stand the heat. <laughs> while we're going through cast, we also have the you know, there's a lot of characters, a lot of the regulars show up, but the, I guess the most important human character is Goro, the um photojournalist or, or journalist who, who just sort of parachutes onto this island and a lot of the action goes through him. That's the same actor who portrayed Tetsuo Tori in uh, Monster Zero and uh, he's also back uh, in the next film in the series Destroy All Monsters. Yep. And uh, On which he actually plays an astronaut instead exactly. of being bullied by one. Yes, exactly. So maybe his character was, uh, you know, decided to, instead of Pursuing a career path in making toys that were basically just portable fire alarms, uh, instead decided to go with uh, being an astronaut. Yes. But yeah, so and there's a couple other characters. Reiko, who is an island girl who has been shipwrecked on uh, Sogail Island since, since 1955. 1955. And they had a they had a chance there. If any of these people had actually been watching any of the Godzilla movies. I mean, if mm-hmm. if they were wanted to connect it together, they could have just said this is the same island from Godzilla Raids again. Yes. And said that she was just left there. Because you have multiple monsters fighting and uh you know, it's a they call it a monster island. This yeah. is the first film where the term monster island is used, mm-hmm. but it's just sort of like a joke. Yeah. Whereas later on it becomes a literal holding ground. A literal thing, yeah. A holding ground, a pen. So, anyways, mightier than the sword. Um, real quick, wanted to mention the phenomenon that was going on around this time with the redistribution of these films in Germany. Nate, you want to tell us a little bit about that and how it uh, maybe kind of ties into a classic science fiction horror novel? Ah, yes. Well, um, in 1965, we have Frankenstein versus Baragon, uh, of which uh, a Frankenstein brain. Yeah, a monster's brain is found in Germany at the end of World War II and is sent to... I think it's his heart. His heart. is sent to the Hiroshima. The creature's The creature's heart. heart. The creature's heart is sent to Hiroshima by Nazis right at the end of the war to be studied because it keeps moving. 
it keeps moving, even though there's no body to go with it. Anyways, so uh, Hiroshima is immediately nuked, and, you know, we cut to 19, current 1965, where things have been rebuilt, and Nick Adams is uh, dating a Japanese girl, all is well, and then Frankenstein... They find this kid, he grows big, they call him Frankenstein, he fights well, a giant they, lizard. <clears throat> they, they put Frankenstein, the creature's heart, in the kid. I was, I was getting to that. Yeah, they give, him, <laughs> they give him a heart transplant and he grows into, his, his, head, for, his head becomes flat. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like as a side effect. <laughs> uh, the, I guess the heart changes the shape of his head and then he grows up, to, he grows the size of a giant monster. Anyways, this film was released in Germany and... Uh, at some point, they did really well. Yes. And um, so... Because uh, of that, yeah. every... Um, for some marketing reason, they decided that every movie with Godzilla in it, uh, every monster Godzilla is fighting is somehow uh, a creature created by Dr. Frankenstein. They somehow weave that into the dubbed plot that you know, Ghidra and a few of these other monsters, Rodan maybe, all uh, Frankenstein creations. Yeah. So Well, definitely, like, you know, Son of Godzilla, Ghidra, yeah. all attributed to Dr. Frankenstein yes. in the German cuts. Tom, I mean, thoughts? there really there really is no <laughs> other explanation for Son of Godzilla, though, because the egg just sort of appears yeah. out of nowhere. You're right. It actually does make more sense. What do you think of it that <laughs> the, way? The I Germans mean, were more logical than the original. No, I, I think it should have just Japanese been called uh, Scheiser of Godzilla. Right. So uh, now you have all these posters, all these trailers where it's Frankenstein, <laughs> Gojira. So it's it's like that's so crazy. When, when you get a film from another country, you're mm-hmm. just supposed to change the language yeah. and try to translate it as closely as you can. You don't alter the plot fundamentally by throwing in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. I don't know. Amazing. And it went on until for like 10 years. Like it, it went on through uh, Mecha Godzilla, like mm-hmm. Terror of Mecha Godzilla. Yeah. So they did this for like eight movies. Anyways, amazing. Uh, I don't know. Just incredible Godzilla trivia. <laughs> didn't, didn't we used to joke about how if a movie they were worried about whether it was going to be successful or not, we would just like call it part of another franchise. So it'd be like, like the hunger games, Pacific rim, like, you know, right. Terminator four, the place beyond the pie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Monsoro Sato back in the orchestral capacity, scoring the music. And he did the last film in the series, Godzilla versus the sea monster. So you'd think that he would at least revisit one of the melodies that he made for that film. And he doesn't. He completely starts from scratch, goes, you know, anew, and I think it's a really good score. It's, it's the best part of the movie. Yeah, in fact, the score is better. I, I will say right now, the score is better than the whole movie itself. In fact, it's so good, when they released Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, they used the really cool, upbeat, jazzy bongo music for the trailer of Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla. There's a really heavy part where it, really, it sounds like a hippopotamus has swallowed some maracas in a bassoon <laughs> and is trying to heave them out. And it's just like, this is so. there's so much bass going on here. It almost sounds as though Santo is trying to like parody uh, the Fuku Bay's, the bass-heavy melodies from the earlier films. Like He's just, like taking it to the final level. 
or whatever, which makes sense because you know the, any the tone from the original films is completely, totally lost uh, by this time, and now it's just like goofball. It's this is like the Austin Powers Part Three, you know. It's just like again, we're in orbit. It's the late sixties, <laughs> man. Anything yeah. goes. And yeah, it's the it summer a, of love. Yes. It was a time of musical experimentation. Hendrix was doing his thing. And in Japan, uh, they started what is known... The French had, had had what is known as the Nouvelle Vague. So the Japanese created, uh, appropriately, the Nuberu Bagu, which is their new wave, where they basically gave a whole bunch of young people money and said, make us more money. So that's where you get people like Oshima and uh, others. Uh, and movies like Son of Godzilla, you know, we don't care how crazy it gets, as long as it makes money. Godzilla Frankenstein kann jetzt ein Heer von Supermonstern aufbieten. Frankensteins Monster jagen Godzillas Sohn. Es tut mir leid, der kleine Godzilla. Oder ein perfekter Frankenstein-Knüller. So we're going to talk about the plot now. In the Japanese version, we see a plane flying over the ocean in the rain in the rain it's uh in the middle of the the night okay yes. probably dropping off something to somebody the precursor to google amazon. drones or amazon <laughs> drones and they've got this this radio I, I believe it's a ham radio it could just be the hobby of one of the people who's there we're not mm-hmm. sure anyways the waves are interrupted and they look out the uh porthole and they see what do you know godzilla is yes. in the ocean and uh he seems upset or possibly just hung over and uh they're like well godzilla he's going to Sogale island what's oh what's do you think's drawing him there it's like well i don't know or whatever and then boom cut to the titles son of godzilla that's the japanese version yes yes now the american cut it just cuts directly to godzilla uh, Godzilla walking into the camera camera and son of godzilla and you don't really the only piece of information that's communicated there is just that it's Sogale island i don't know if they say that again um, so maybe it's important, but not really, because I think it's a made-up island anyways. So, yeah. eh. But then we go into the uh, the beginning of our film, which takes place. With a bunch of uh, hot, sweaty scientists. Exactly. Half-naked, half uh, who are uh, working uh, with lots of machinery. So scientists yes. are experimenting on the island. <laughs> yes. We they... don't know what they're experimenting. It's something to do with the weather. They're trying to make it cold so that crops, I don't know. Scientists are performing bizarre 
dangerous, uncontrolled, unsupervised weather experiments that could result in a planetary cataclysm. None of them seem concerned that much like the first time when they detonated the first atomic bomb and there was a very slim chance that every atom would be split in a simultaneous reaction and annihilate all of existence, these guys seem completely unburdened by the idea that maybe this weather experiment might go out of the confines of this island and kill everyone on Earth. They don't care at all. They're just like, eh, you know, they're taking it easy. They have all these large, lethargic stations uh, over the island with telephones in them so they can contact the boss. Yeah, rotary phones. Yes, rotary phones. Um, For those of you who don't know what a rotary phone is, Wikipedia. A plane comes over, they get some supplies, they're all very happy. I mean, we're not sure how often these planes fly over the island, maybe once every six months. Mm-hmm. But uh, also, a, in addition to food, a uh, reporter parachutes uh, out, and he is not welcome there. No. Uh, his name is Goro. Sort of Goro. a pl- practical joke that the uh, scientist bosses are playing on them by dropping this reporter out of the plane with the food. Yeah. It's just like... Uh, it's a goof. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit of a goof. Pulling a goof on them. It's a true goof because they were uh, expecting Walter Cronkite. Unless and, uh, the reporter was doing some kind of commando-esque maneuver where he snuck <laughs> onto the plane and held onto the landing gear <laughs> and parachuted off. I would like to assume that yes. because I try to work in the plot of Commando in other plots of films and in many real-life situations whenever I can. Uh, so, yes, Goro is a reporter. They don't answer any of his questions. He has no way of getting off the island. He's immediately assigned to um, bury the garbage and cook all of their meals. Yes. So he's trapped. Yes. Um, Serves him right. He has some downtime, though. He wanders around the island, and he meets a, a island girl named Reiko. Uh, who is, uh, she's a fascinating uh, personality. Um, she's a, got a beautiful singing voice. I think she actually may be a mutant, uh, as in like the X-Men. Yes. Because she's like got uh, this banshee call thing. It's, it's intense. Mm-hmm. She's got a reverb pedal in her throat. Yes. They they hit it off. None of the other scientists believe Goro that he saw this girl, and they decide to go ahead with uh, the weather experiment, even though it, in theory, will freeze the island. Or, with well, them. With them. Yeah. yeah, they're doing the experiment on the same island that they are on. This seems with like no a boats. little... Yeah. It seems a little short-sighted. They have no contact to like get off the island in case things go wrong. This is sort of an all or nothing, all in thing. Um and so Goro tries to find Reiko to Warner. Haven't you guys ever thought about the fact that the island might be a stand-in for planet Earth? This is all just a metaphor for our own recklessness during the nuclear age. We are experimenting on the island that we live on. Uh-huh. Deal with it. Oh. I'm, I'm I didn't speech- no, it could be that. Yeah. It could be. Go on, fellas. Um, Sorry, I was... Interesting thinking. insight from Tom, sort of a yeah. game changer. So they... Surprising insight. They <laughs> go ahead... They go ahead with the experiment anyways, because for reasons unclear, they think Goro is lying about this girl that he saw. Um, because who would need a girl with such luscious men around? Thank you, Nathan. Yes. And they, uh, yes, so they go ahead with their 
basically suicide pact of <laughs> initiating this unwarranted, uh, crazy weather experiment. Um, and it goes horribly wrong because they don't know what they're doing. And they're trapped because they do it on the island that they're on. And even worse, it brings out the narrator. Yes, it brings out this narrator who is not in the movie. No. Until this point, or ever again. <laughs> uh, and he only narrates things that are happening on the screen. He says, now it starts to rain, and thusly it got very hot on the island, and there was much wind. Was Maybe too- the narrator is like a radioactive side effect of the experiment. Imagine you know what if- I mean? Like, <laughs> like it, it not only makes everything really cold, but it makes this disembodied voice come up and tell you what's going on. So you're saying that the nuclear quotient of this experiment, which there is some nuclear uh, thing in it, actually mutates the mise-en-scene of the film <laughs> to now it has like an extra appendage and now it just has this narrator sort of show up and then quickly go away again. You mean this experiment created God? Yes. Who <laughs> Captain Kirk punches out in Star Trek Six? I think that it's an interesting take. Um, unfortunately... They're stuck in their um, metal cubes of death. They should all be dead. (laughs) The experiment does the exact opposite of what they intend. Makes it extremely hot. And uh, they're like, oh, we'll be safe as long as we stay inside our metal containers underground with no ventilation. Uh, They're above ground. So the sun can just drench them all day long. (laughs) The aforementioned sweatiness. (laughs) Goes to the nth degree, much mm-hmm. to Nathan's delight. Yes, yes, yes. They somehow avoid killing one another, and like several months later, they come out of their uh, metal cubes that they've all been stationed on. That's just been again beating down two hundred degree temperatures all day. Months, months, month. They're in there for months. So what happens if someone farts in there? I'm I sure mean... they had to deal with that on day one. Um, They're in there for months, and Goro is nowhere to be seen. Yeah. They don't really talk about Goro for a while. This is sort of the portion of the narrative (laughs) where Goro's character, because he is an idiot, he starts opening every scene. He's inevitably knocked unconscious, and you find him sort of knocked out. Yeah. Uh, So that's an interesting trait he has. Anyways... um, So one of the side effects of uh, their disastrous uh, experiment... After they get out of the um, the cubes, they decide to sort of salvage the equipment, and they notice that now the island is overrun by giant praying mantises, um, which they have to contend with now, as well as some of the other members of the expedition. Uh, one member in particular, uh, Futakawa, is now going insane with cabin fever, island fever, because it's not just inside the, the headquarters. It's the whole island. He just wants out. He thinks the experiment is no good, which it isn't. No. I mean, it's creating it's monsters <laughs> and destroying, you know, their food supply. So he's actually maybe the sanest character in the whole film. Um, but he wants out, so he grabs a gun. <laughs> now, it should be said that, okay, these giant mantises converge on this bump in the, in the ground, and they start picking away at it, and there's an egg in the ground, and a, a giant, a, yet another monster egg. Yes, which uh, they mention was must have been the source of the radio distortion. Yeah, that they that the gra- people on the ground had experienced. Correct. So they look at this egg, see the mantises picking at it, trying to eat it, 
Right. Presumably. And or they say, maybe they want a hatchet and raise hatchet. it as their own. Maybe. But the uh, characters just go, okay, bye. And go back to the base. Right. They're like, they, they oh, just, another oh, wacky thing happening wacky on this thing. island. And uh, so, yes. Um, uh, Futakawa grabs his rifle. He, uh, well, he doesn't. He always has it. He's always hanging on to the rifle, which makes sense because he's insane. Yeah. And um, he makes a break for the beach. And then finally, Godzilla shows up. Godzilla comes out of the ocean, walks over, sees these praying mantises trying to mess the egg. The egg hatches. And out comes uh, what can only be described as uh, the child of a racer head. Uh, your thoughts, Tom? Um, what comes out of that egg doesn't look anything like Godzilla. It looks it looks more like, as Nathan said, the uh, the baby, the mutant baby from Eraserhead, and it has black goo coming out of its mouth, and uh, it sort of slides along the ground um, on its belly. Look, it kind of looks like it's sort of like slithering or like humping the ground. Um, I'm not really sure how they, they moved him or maybe there was a hand inside it that was, or they use magnets. I don't know. Magnets. How do they work? (laughs) (laughs) You put a giant magnet in the son of Godzilla and then you have a magnet underneath the floorboards and you slide him along. There you go. Um, so yeah, Godzilla has a son that looks nothing like him. I'll tell you who else looks nothing like Godzilla in this movie. Godzilla. Yes. Um, (laughs) this is the worst Godzilla suit just hands down. He yeah. just looks like a constipated librarian or yeah. something. It's just like... And, and like a constipated <laughs> librarian, it's clear that everyone had just given and up. Look, again, nothing against librarians. No. But, like, you know that if you're listening to this, uh, that's your job. But, like, you know that look you get when you when you get constipated. This is what it looks like in this film. It doesn't look like a dinosaur or a lizard of any kind. It looks like a cartoon bear. or so. It's just like... It's real bad. It even when Godzilla looks like a cartoon dog in the latter films in the 70s, that's still better because at least... The problem is, okay, Minya, which is Godzilla's son, was portrayed by a little person who was actually a professional wrestler. Um, and But he was even... Even as a little person, he was still, you know, about... I don't know, three foot eight or something. So they couldn't get the guy who normally did the suit acting for Godzilla. They had to redesign the Godzilla suit for this one uh, to make him look taller, mm-hmm. to get the height differential to you know be more dramatic. So it would be, well, this is the adult, this is the child. So they, I guess they were too concerned with the, the height differential to, to notice that the two uh, creatures don't even look like they're from the same species, let alone uh, kin to one another. Yes, and uh, unfortunately a cult icon, a sub-cult icon within the Godzilla franchise Minya. was born. Minya. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's no evidence that says that they are kin to each other. No. The egg just sort of is there, and Godzilla appears... I mean, where did the egg come from? Why is it calling Godzilla? What came first, the chicken or the egg? Or the Godzilla. The Godzilla. Or Minya. Or Mini Nilla. Mini Nilla. Yes, it was an inside joke on the Toho lot um, that it was a Mini Godzilla, and that's where we get Mini Manila. Um, Uh, Not to be confused with the capital of the Philippines. Right. 
So Godzilla comes in and kicks all these giant praying mantises' asses. Which is the most exciting part of this first half of the film, yeah. because not I, only it's does... It's the best scene in the movie. Well, I, I really like it. Well, not only does he attack them, he actually kills them, yeah. and parts of their flaming corpses fly over the island. Yeah. It's amazing. It's just, it's just like, yes, this is what we've been waiting for. Right. Very rare in the monster fights in these movies where there's such a decisive end to the opponent. Where mm-hmm. it's not they just, you know, they fly away or whatever. Even though one of the praying mantis does fly away. Yeah. The other two get completely destroyed. It's like the condor in Godzilla versus the Sea Monsters. Just like, finally, Godzilla yeah. just wastes a Yeah, it's very satisfying. Uh, so, yes. And, and I'd like to say that the, you know, the... Co- or, sorry, the uh, Gymantises look really good. And, and the way they're filmed, it's it's still well done. Even though it's preposterous, they're still trying pretty hard. So mm-hmm. From here on, the movie basically switches gears from following the human characters to it's just a series of vignettes with kind of the humans shoehorned in on the peripheral. Uh, and now it goes into Godzilla teaching Minya how to be a good um, monster. Monster. You know. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, so th- thus begins a, uh, not quite training montage, but just... Uh, Child from... abuse montage. Yes, yes, because... He's uh, a stern father. Yes, very stern. Godzilla's like, what? You just got hit in the face with a rock? I'm going to hit you in the face with my tail and teach you a lesson. <laughs> How dare you get hit? Yeah. You know what you get for getting hit? More hit. Getting get hit. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's pretty awesome. It was... That scene was actually turned into an ad for, like, National Father Appreciation Day or something a couple yeah. of years ago. because remember, you don't have to be king of the monsters. You just have to be a man to be a dad. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, very good. Very good recall. That You're was, kidding. Uh, this was on American television? This, this was, was on, on American, American television. Te- like, two years ago. Yeah. Um, just, uh, you know, yeah. Still relevant. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Was Minya still in its disgusting eraser head baby stage? Or yes. Had it grown up a little bit. Oh, th- this was uh, the the l- part of the later half of the film when his face had slightly less eraser head, more. Uh, well, they cut the, when his teeth grow in. Slightly less black goose <laughs> dripping out of his on his lips. Yeah, yeah. nightmare fuel. Uh, so, anyways, Minya grows up quick with the help of Reiko uh, throwing melons into its mouth. Yeah. Uh, in, in some very, she's got a heck of an underarm throw to go along with her, uh, impossibly powerful singing voice. Yes. She should get into boulder throwing. She's the most terrifying monster in this movie, by the way, <laughs> Reiko. I she did, has to be stopped. I did postulate that Minya, like, she didn't actually throw it really hard. He just sort of started inhaling when she threw it and sucked it in. Mm-hmm. Because that's the only way to really explain it. And you need a you need a second by second way in order to sleep at night. Yeah, <laughs> you you gotta. You gotta I have, have to make this movie make sense in my head. <laughs> you have to be in command. <laughs> uh, conveniently, all of the non-essential characters become bedridden, and uh, they have to get. Um, Reiko informs the scientists that the. This happens from time to time, and she likes to drink the uh, disgusting red water that is uh, strewn about the island in natural occurring deposits. Which apparently was not affected by the previous 
shitfest storm that the scientists created. Yeah. Yeah. That, that it, it somehow again, would, mutated yes. a praying mantis to be the size of Godzilla. Yeah. And mutated a narrator into the movie. Yes. Uh, so anyways, they make a uh, sojourn to this lake of red water, which is kind of an interesting visual. And uh, who happens to be sleeping next to, to the uh, the lake but Minya and his dad. His dad looks like he's really, you know, conked out, sleeping one off. And yeah. um, Clearly, uh, it was a football game day, and he just... You know, drank a little bit too much of that red water. <laughs> yeah. yeah, went right to his uh, his beer gut. Anyways, uh, Minya's jumping over Godzilla's tail like a jump rope, and um, yeah, it's pretty amazing. As one does. Wait a minute, this I get confused. These two scenes. This is the scene because he teaches him how to breathe fire too via child abuse. He's like breathing fire. On the lake. Well, first, you know, we see Minya grow up a little bit. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, he's not as as creepy. Yeah. You know. And then everyone gets sick. And then... Yeah, so... And then we have the fire montage as uh, our heroes are... Our heroes stop. Instead of just getting the water and rushing back, they take a moment to see what Godzilla and Minya are doing instead of trying to be as inconspicuous as possible because, uh, you know, it's like raising a wild chimpanzee they might be cute when they're little but then they might you know rip off your face yeah so where was i going with this yes uh they should have just got the water and left right but instead they decided to watch um godzilla uh teach minya how to be a man right by breathing fire and minya is trying to breathe fire but can't really because this comes out in these weird kind of smoke circles yeah that make the noise of like uh I don't know, boomerang or something, just like, pop, 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 pop. So, like, yeah. Godzilla decides to step in and step on Minya's tail, and that does the trick. And mm-hmm. then Minya uh, produces a steady stream of nuclear fire breath, yes. uh-huh. which goes right into the red water that they're collecting <laughs> to, to uh, mm-hmm. you know, get all the sick people uh, well again. So hopefully that doesn't affect it. I mean, there's no little... way this wet water is not lethal <laughs> at this point. You want a little radiation, maybe? Make you feel better. It's not as bad as what you have. <laughs> um, so at this point, at some point, the scientists moved out of the uh, destroyed ruins of their headquarters to a cave, to uh, Reiko's cave. And uh, they're getting ready to start the experiment again. Goro is just going around doing stuff. He accidentally slips and uh, near a cliff and sets off an avalanche, which wakes up a giant bloodthirsty tarantula. Yes, which uh, was not, uh, apparently according to uh, Rico, was not small before. Apparently it's always been this big. Yeah, so kind of move into endgame here they start the experiment again mm-hmm. uh the giant tarantula known as spiga mm-hmm. uh awakens um or what what is it in japanese it's it's, it's spiga in english but mm-hmm. in japanese it's kumonga i think kumonga kumagura it's i think it's kum uh, i think it's kumonga uh Godzilla or Minya tries to fight Kumonga. Kumonga f- has a little uh, fight with uh, one of the final Gymantises and and kills it very graphically and horrifically yes. with its uh, metal rod that comes out of its face. Yes, 
um, which I guess is supposed to be its stinger, but it has a clear metallic color to it. Um, I mean, it's clearly metallic. It's not clear. It's metallic. Must be all the red water. I guess. Something. Funky Island. Godzilla comes around and they have their fight and it's, it's... Okay. I mean, for, first, uh, I mean, the the thing as is... As much is of a that, fight as you can have with a spider. Yes. I mean, it, I think it's a thing where, you know... We kind of mi- move back mi- into Ghidra territory here, where yeah. it's like, it's interesting visually, yeah. but you can't really go toe-to-toe with it, or you're just punching its face. Yeah, or like his breath somehow doesn't work on the spider too right. well. They do that thing yeah. where it's like the spider's shooting its web and he's shooting its breath and like the web is holding its own. Somehow. It's like, even though, like, a, like a cartoon where it's like pushing it back and forth. Even though you know, I'm assuming, you know, radioactive breath would burn. I mean if fire, if a cigarette lighter can get rid of web is... Right. You know, so just... If it's I, a steady stream of silly string web and it gets hit by a flame, it's going to burn all the way back to the source, which should have taken the spider out. That which, would have been much cooler. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so if I'm just flipping over, then poking Godzilla in the eye when he goes to, like, look at um, his, uh, you know, near-erotic bush mouth. Yeah, Tom, um, do you want to describe your feelings viewing that sequence? I remember you being very upset. I don't remember that sequence. <laughs> it, Tom, we, we just want to say it's not your fault. Okay, well, here's what happens. Godzilla kind of, he, he knocks over Spiga, and he kind of walks up to him, and he kind of starts giving Spiga's face, which looks like 70s Bush, I'm just going to say it. Uh, he starts giving it the, the eye, and the, you keep cutting intercutting back and forth it's like closer on his eye closer on the mouth closer on the eye closer on the mouth clo- eye mouth eye, you know what's gonna eye, happen <laughs> and then somehow there's like spiga stings godzilla in the eye but the physics just don't add up because godzilla would have to be like down on all fours and like right like shoving his face <laughs> into the mouth which i think would have been an awesome like if they would have cut to like back to a wide establishing shot all of a sudden godzilla is down on the ground it's like what just like looking at his eye and then you know stabbing his face and then jumping back up ah grabbing his face that would have been amazing uh you know this is the most Godzilla has ever thought <laughs> on screen. This is his most cognitive moment. You can start to see how his mind working at last. Was I was I disturbed by it? Because I feel like yeah, that, you, you said this is disturbing. No, yeah, that I, that, <laughs> I think that the sound effect and the actual visual effect of that thing coming out of the spider was was the most effective thing in the whole movie in terms of creature effects. And uh, I thought Godzilla had lost an eye. I was concerned. I didn't want a blind man to have to raise his uh, son. I mean, he might as well be blind with those ridiculous Google eyes. And that. <laughs> they look glued on. Yeah, this, uh, <laughs> they look like Christmas ornaments. Cookie monster worthy. Uh, they look like the results of like a second grader arts and crafts class, where it's just like f- those foam balls <laughs> that you get a magic marker and put like the black dot, and then just get some Elmer's glue and just. Plopped him onto the top of his head. I mean, those are his eyes. That may explain why the spider stinger couldn't penetrate the cornea, you know, because it's just a little plastic. (laughs) Because it's a a button. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It it was just the tip. It was just the tip. Uh, So, anyways, after a basically uneventful fight, Godzilla and Minya team up 
give it the old double team father and son action and blow uh, fire breath in its face and it's, uh, the spider sort of kind of crawls up in a ball and um, and is set aflame. Meanwhile, the experiment starts to actually take effect. Yeah. And this time it goes well. Um, it starts snowing and the... Yeah, scientists... terrifyingly well. Yes, yes. Uh, and it's so... out of control. <laughs> so the scientists and, every... and you know, Goro and everyone else is all safe on a boat. Uh, with And they've all regained their sanity uh, as they look at the island, which is where it's now snowing. Uh, and then we get this, it's kind of like the opposite of The Shining, whereas in The Shining, Danny is running away from Jack, but in this, it's Minya trying to keep up with Godzilla, who... And Godzilla just, like, turning into a total, like, absentee father here. <laughs> they just be like, I don't want this kid, this ain't my kid, this ain't my boy, you don't have the test to prove it, and he's just walking... Away. And meanwhile, the peanut gallery is on the boat, like watching it all go down. Like, oh, look at what's happening with Godzilla! <laughs> Isn't this hilarious? Reiko seems concerned. Godzilla turns around, though. He does turn around and he goes back and and decides to. Because I don't know where the hell he's going. Maybe he was going to jump off the island again and swim away. Because that that's basically what he did at the end of the last movie. Because yeah. the end of Godzilla versus the Sea Monster, the island's going to be destroyed in a thermonuclear explosion, and the characters. Tell this to Godzilla by yelling at him, Godzilla better run. And Godzilla's like, mm hmm. And he goes and he runs, he jumps off the island. And so maybe this is like well, maybe, Godzilla maybe, was maybe just they leave said the, the same again. thing. Maybe it was a deleted scene. They said, Godzilla, you better run. But instead, they thought he said, hey, you better stay with your stupid son. Yeah, there we so. go. <laughs> it, was, it was a wordplay gaffe, spoof and a goof, and it turned deadly for Godzilla at this point <laughs> because he comes back and he hugs his kid. And they are actually, there's real tenderness uh, in the score. And uh, it's actually sort of moving, despite all odds. Yes. And, uh, yeah, they slowly freeze to death. Um, Goro assures Reiko that because he is an amateur uh, news photographer, he knows their internal mechanisms. Like, they will hibernate for a few weeks, and then they'll thaw out, and they'll be fine and even stronger than usual. I'm pretty sure he's just telling her that because he wants to get to at least second base later on that night when, what do you know, submarine Seahawk, after five years of being lodged in that iceberg, uh, thaws out and comes to rescue everybody. Anyways, so yes, they are get rescued, and the monsters slowly freeze to death. Although, don't worry, kids, because Minya is back in uh, Destroy All Monsters, and Godzilla's Revenge, and in Final Godzilla Wars? Final Wars. Yes. Fans don't really like Minya that much. Uh, you can see why. He's not in particularly good movies, with the exception of uh, Destroy All Monsters, which is just sort of like a fan favorite. But he's but one of many monsters in yeah. that film. So, so you don't have to put up with him, because you can see other monsters actually doing monster things, like destroying. Uh, so next week, Destroy All Monsters. Destroy All Monsters, a movie I, I actually feel good about, happy yeah. about. I mean, it, it it's got its flaws, like... A good portion of these movies, but uh, I think this one is... Uh, you get Honda back in the director's chair, so yes. things get a little bit more under control. Subaraya does some, you know, awesome He had a two-week vacation yeah. from Ultraman. He could come back, so, yeah. Yeah. This is, I've seen this the least, I think. I've seen, yeah, This is only the second the or third this time like, I've seen it. First of all, all yeah. the highlights of the fights are in Godzilla's Revenge. Yes. Okay, which is basically an effective clip show movie. <laughs> um, and second of all... It's just sort of 
Yeah, you don't need to watch no. this. It's just, it's just kind of. The, <laughs> she's like, if you want to see all of them, okay. If you don't, you don't need to see this. Yeah, one. yeah, you could survive. Yeah. at some point, he had a yeah. mutant kid. Mutant kid. You could probably the it story looks like one of the garbage pail kids. <laughs> Wouldn't you say, Tom Beto, friend, co-podcast host? I'm sorry. I feel like you're criticizing me for not having said enough on this podcast. Uh, but you probably shouldn't have invited me to be on the Son of Godzilla episode of this podcast. Well, we needed someone to get us through it. Um, I'm sorry. I couldn't help. Anyway, if you like my work, you can listen to my uh, uh, my rap album, which was just released under my rap name, Trill.biz. Tom, I want to know what your thoughts and feelings were uh, after watching this film. You know, uh, what, what's carried with you, what's stayed with you since then? How's it changed you? Uh, well, I downloaded this film illegally on BitTorrent and... Uh, I feel like I may have been ripped off. 